know. Father, thank you for Jean. Thank you for uh, the wisdom that you've given her. I pray that you'd speak clearly through her tonight. That we might be enlivened by your Spirit's presence and guidance in us. Amen. Mm, Amen. Thank you, Martin. If you have a rota, you would see on it that the reading for today was actually far longer, far too long to read tonight. Thank you, Pauline, though. You read that beautifully. So just a few highlights of what would have gone on through this passion time. So if you'd like to put the next one up, please, Kieran. Um, It covers all these things, the Passover supper, the disputers, who was the greatest, Peter's denial, Jesus prays for the cup to be taken, Jesus is arrested, Peter denies Jesus, Jesus is mocked, Pilate and Herod, the crucifixion and death, and Jesus' burial. So too much to go into all that detail for then. But from this long description of the Passion, we will actually be looking at 15 words which make up the darkest part of our Nicene Creed. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And those 15 words fit very neatly into five lots of three words each. So, for our sake. If you look in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament in chapter 1, the prophet has a vision of four creatures, and each of the four had four sides to them with different faces. One was the face of a man, one was the face of a lion, one's the face of an ox, and one's the face of an eagle. Now, these four uh, creatures occur also in Revelation chapter 4, And they're seen throughout the medieval ages, the Middle Ages, in paintings and sculpture, where they represent the four Gospels. Now, these four symbols keep recurring throughout Christendom, especially in the book of Kells, which is a beautifully illustrated manuscript, which is actually kept in Dublin Castle, and you can have tours to go around and see it. So Matthew is represented by the human face. Mark is represented by the lion. John's gospel is represented by the high-flying eagle. And finally, Luke's gospel is depicted as a patient-looking ox. The reason I say all these as an introduction is, have you ever visited Chartwell, the home of Winston Churchill, where there are so many portraits portraying different aspects of his life? Um, The statesman, the family man, the man at war, and the man at rest in his garden. So each of the four Gospels are giving us different aspects of what happened around the passion of our Lord Jesus that night and the next two or three days. And as I said, Luke's portrayal is that of an ox, a patient, plodding ox, but the ox is the most powerful of the domestic beasts. They weren't just plodders. They were, in the Eastern times, were the bearer of all burdens, They were the world's most powerful engine in the absence of modern-day machinery. The ox was the universal burden, beast of burden, carrying heavy loads and pulling heavy carts. So I'd like you to keep that image in your mind of Jesus as the ox, the bearer of burdens. He bears our burdens for our sake. He died on the cross, which we will look at tomorrow, for our sake. He became the substitute for the punishment of our sins 
for our sake. He works hard for our sake. He is more than strong enough to bear our burdens and to take away the burden of guilt and rebellion and sin. It's as if we've been struggling under a heavy burden and a heavy load and Jesus comes along and lifts that burden off our shoulders and places them on his own back. The bearer of burdens must carry the burden to the end, becoming the sacrificial victim. I have come that they might have life, said Jesus, for our sake. And on this staggering journey to the cross, we heard that Jesus is not concerned for himself, but for the ordinary people, especially the women and the mothers, those daughters of Jerusalem he talks about earlier on. And he forgives those carpenters and soldiers who nailed him on the cross, simply obeying the orders of the powerful. And we see his concern for the social outcasts as he forgives the penitent thief on the cross. It is always the burden of the ox to carry the weight of others. He became our burden bearer, suffering our pain, our iniquities, our punishment for our sake. I'm going to invite you to say that with me as we come to the end of each section. So together, let us say, for our sake. He was crucified. Crucifixion was a hellish method of killing. It caused the greatest possible amount of pain to the victim and was a feared and shameful form of execution designed to prolong the gruesome pain. Death would come by suffocation as the weight of the body would make breathing more and more difficult. On top of that, Deuteronomy 21 says, anybody who is hung on a tree is under God's curse, signifying divine judgment and rejection. As Galatians 3.13 says, Paul writes, Jesus became a curse for us. In March last year, you may remember on the news, a gunman stormed a supermarket in a small town in France, killing two people and then using a woman as a human shield. A local policeman, Arnaud Beltrame, volunteered to take her place. In the process, he placed his mobile phone on a table so his comrades could hear what was happening. And they heard gunshots and they stormed the building, but Arnaud had already been killed. He swapped places with the woman and as a result gave his life for hers. This gives us a glimpse into the self-sacrifice of Jesus. This is the process of substitution, a life for a life. The first time this happened was in Genesis when God killed animals in order to make clothes for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. An animal died to cover their shame. Later, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son, God stepped in and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Another life for a life. Later, the night before leaving Egypt, the Israelites killed the Passover lamb as a sign that the angel of death would pass over their homes. And this became the basis for the Jews' Passover feast when a lamb was sacrificed and its blood sprinkled as a sign of cleansing from sin. Another life for a life. And when John the Baptist first saw Jesus 
in John chapter 1, he called out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 5, says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. That woman hostage was an innocent bystander. But Jesus chooses to die for people who are far from innocent and who deserve to be punished. He chose to die in our place so that we could be free. And we know we all sin in one way or another. Even turning our backs on God is sin. And Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die. And Jesus offers to swap his life for our life. A life for a life. And yet, if you delve deeper into the scriptures, here is the wonder of the cross. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. The moment we accept Jesus as Saviour, it is as if we died to self on the cross with Jesus. And Paul's famous words in Galatians 2.20 make it clear, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the final analysis, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross, or the weapons of the soldiers gathered around the foot of the cross. In the end, what held Jesus to the cross was love. Love for you and love for me. So let us say this together. For our sake, he was crucified. Under Pontius Pilate. Bear in mind here that Jesus has been arrested not by the Roman authorities, but by the Jewish priests and the hierarchy. They'd had had enough of Jesus and his miracles, drawing the people away from themselves, and he was a threat to their religious authority. Under Roman law, the council of priests couldn't carry out a death penalty. So after experiencing a night of betrayal from Peter and the other disciples running away and the mocking from the temple guards, Jesus is led away to appear before Pilate, the Roman governor. So the Jews had arrested him on theological grounds, that of blasphemy. But now they have to come up with a political reason for executing Jesus. So they tried to present him as a rebel. So the priests and the members of the Sanhedrin accused Jesus of three things. This man subverts our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Christ, a king. Well, the irony was that first accusation was completely unfounded. The second one about paying taxes was an outright lie. And Jesus never claimed to be an earthly king. Though his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey proclaimed to all who had eyes to see that he was God's Messiah, God's king. Now, Pilate wasn't stupid. He recognised their anger and their jealousy and their trumped-up charges, and he realised what was behind their request. Pilate believes Jesus to be innocent and tries to get him released as the bonus Passover prisoner release, saying, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. Jesus can be their king for all he cares, 
And when he hears that Jesus comes from Galilee, he passes the buck to Herod, who after a mock coronation passes the buck back to Pilate. Eventually, as we know, Pilate gives in to the Jewish leaders and releases Barabbas to freedom and surrenders Jesus to the cross. And Matthew's Gospel relates how Pilate took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. But no amount of hand-washing will absolve his part in this horrific episode. Jesus literally died in Barabbas' place, a life for a life. Just like Arnaud died in place of the woman in France last year. I asked myself why Jesus had to go through this semblance of a trial, and I think the answer is to show without doubt that Jesus was innocent of any crime. And dear old Peter had it right when he wrote in his first letter, he, Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So the bearer of burdens carries our sin and our guilt. Echoing the words of Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So let's say the next few words together. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death. We shy away from the thought of the suffering that Jesus went through. It's too horrible to contemplate Yet over the centuries, crowds often flocked to such gatherings as did the French during the French Revolution and the Londoners at the beheadings under Henry VIII and so on. Yet there's a plaintive cry from Lamentations 1 which says, Is it nothing to you or you who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me? We've been studying a book in our house group, a Lent book, and it's been studying Isaiah 53 in particular. And there the prophet describes and uses so many adjectives to describe what Jesus went through. Appalling, disfigured, marred, despised, rejected, pain, punished, stricken, afflicted, pierced, crushed, wounded, oppressed, cut off. The servant who hung on the cross is beyond human likeness. He has no beauty, no majesty, nothing is desirable about him. He is held in low esteem. Feel the cumulative force of those adjectives. This is Christ's love for you and for me. He suffered in this way for each one of us. And of course, in those dying moments of Jesus on the cross, several things happened. He's just about offered peace and hope to the other thief. He will be the first to benefit from God's salvation. And then darkness comes over the land in the middle of the day. Luke tells us that the sun stopped shining as though the whole of nature couldn't bear to look at what is happening. And then the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom 
It's a dramatic, supernatural sign that the way into the presence of God is open for all, not just the high priest once a year. Jesus is our perfect high priest who offers the perfect sacrifice of himself. And lastly, Jesus calls out a prayer of commitment to God before dying with his Father's name on his lips. All through his ministry, Jesus suffered. He suffered the loss of his riches in glory. You've only got to read Philippians 2 to see that. He suffered temptation. He suffered ridicule and rejection. He suffered separation from his Father in heaven. He suffered the judgment which should have been ours. He suffered pain and death. A quote from that book we're studying in house group. For if Christ suffered such great things for you, even the very wrath of God and torments of hell, then you may be assured he will never forget you. He understands all the suffering we go through because the bearer of burdens has suffered them too. And yet Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy for which Jesus suffered is you and me. And if we've put our faith in Christ, then we've been set free from sin and been reconciled to God. And Jesus is full of joy at what he sees. Your salvation is his satisfaction. When he looks at you, he is pleased with what he sees. He looks at you and says, all that suffering was worth it. So together, let's say, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Jesus' body has to be buried before nightfall because the Sabbath was fast approaching when no work could be done. Normally, criminals who have been crucified on the cross would be buried in a field or even thrown on a rubbish tip. But, as we heard, a friend, Joseph of Arimathea, who'd stayed in the background till now, bravely comes forward to ask for the body of Christ and he offers a tomb nearby, cut in the rock, which had never been used. John's Gospel includes the fact that Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin, came to help and brought spices to anoint his body. And so the final piece of the prophetic jigsaw slips into place, as Isaiah 53 verse 9 says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he died a criminal's death, his body would not be dumped on a rubbish tip or in a field, but placed in a rich man's tomb, a burial fit for a king, King Jesus. If we were in that courtyard that first Monday Thursday, and if we stayed to watch the crucifixion next day, we would have surely believed it was the end. This was it. And it should have been, could have been, may have been, but it wasn't. And we all know the wondrous truth of the resurrection on Sunday morning. But for, na- for tonight, we hover, we wait, we think about these things. We're filled with the heartache of impending loss, the dregs of despair, and the questioning 
Why? Paul gives us the answer. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing words. So let's say that part of the creed together. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Fifteen words that we've looked at tonight that tell the most powerful story in all of history. Fifteen words that demonstrate beyond a shadow of doubt how much God loves you and me. Fifteen words that command a response from us. So perhaps each one of us tonight can lay our burdens down on the powerful back of the ox, our burden bearer, and let him take our burdens of guilt and sin and shame and set us free. A life for a life. Amen.